All right, this morning uh, I want to invite you to open your Bible to uh, Luke chapter 24. We're in the final chapter of, of the book of Luke. Uh, we've been in this, uh, this journey uh, with Christ all year uh, long, and actually I've been kind of rushing to get to the end of this just because starting next week we're going back to the beginning of the book of Luke, and we're going to be in the book of Luke again for the next month in the opening chapters. Um, I want to I want to begin and, and and typically we we open with a prayer, uh, but it's really important today because um, I caught a theme in this chapter that really meant a lot to me. Um, the emphasis Jesus is going to place uh, in Luke chapter twenty four, with all of the excitement and everything that's happening, is on the scriptures and an emphasis on remembering the scriptures. Um, he's going to bring that up over and over and over again in Luke 24. And it's going to say this. I'm going to go ahead and give away the end. It says this through this chapter. He opened up the scriptures for them. He opened up their eyes. He opened up their minds. It says all three of those things in this chapter. Powerful. And it tells me something. It's Jesus that opens up his own word. He is the living word. And... Um, I'm just going to ask that he do, he do that for us uh, this morning, that we would sit at his feet and that he would open up our minds. He would open up our eyes. He would open up his word to us. Let's pray. Uh, Holy Father, I just, um, I'm so in love with you. I'm so in love with you for the theme of this week, God, just um, as families, as friends to come together and, and be thankful Um, I ask, God, that you would um, open up your word to us. God, that we would see the true Christ. That we would see past all of the layers of theology that we have just painted on top of this beautiful canvas. And just, God, that we would get back to the root of who you truly are and what the true message of your word is. Uh, It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I emphasized everything that, um, well, not everything, but a lot of things that we remember that we think we remember from Scripture that actually these ideas and these concepts aren't even in Scripture, sort of stuff that we came up with. Um, This week it's the opposite. There are so many things that are actually in Scripture that we forget are there. So many promises that he gives us that we kind of, we, we, we don't necessarily remember, that we don't put stake in. Um, Jesus, in this walk with his disciples from the beginning, um, the opening of the book of Luke, it begins like this, Oh, excellent Theophilus. He's writing uh, both the book of Luke and the book, book of Acts. He's writing to this Theophilus. Now, I think Theophilus was an actual person. But the name does mean uh, a lover of God or even a lover of wisdom. It's this person that could represent Christianity as a whole. And he began the book with these words. Says, I, as just as many people have worked to compile to an accurate resource of what happened in Christ. He says, I'm going to do that now so that you might have certainty. So that you would live with certainty. And then he goes into the story of Christ. And through through the region of Galilee, he would traverse back and forth between Capernaum um, and uh, Nazareth. And he would perform these miracles. But most importantly, he emphasized giving dignity and worth to those people that society, society had marginalized. He continually gave dignity and worth and love to people that other people considered worthless. 
and where they um, emphasized their traditions and their laws and these things, but they de-emphasized people. Christ flipped that on its head and he said, people are more important than your traditions. And he kept demonstrating that through his ministry. And he kept making a promise that he was going to Jerusalem. Throughout his ministry, I'm just going to share a few of these verses with you. And this is all going to be taken from the book of Luke. He says this in Luke 9, 22. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And on the third day, raised to life. Now, I want you to see how specific this is. Jesus said, this is what's going to happen. I am going to Jerusalem. I will be killed. On the third day, I will be raised to life. He says it again in chapter 18. We're going to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again a third time. In Luke 22, he says this, what's written about me is reaching its fulfillment. Everything that I've come to do, and he's this specific about it, on the third day, I will rise again according to the scriptures. Now, I would like to think that what we're about to experience when Jesus suffers, is crucified, and is buried, you would almost expect the disciples to be sitting there going, I cannot wait until the third day. Almost in joy and anticipation. Wow, he is about to conquer death. He said that this was the reason he came. He said that this was going to happen, and it's happening exactly like he said. Not once in the Gospels does anybody take that attitude. And, and you see just the opposite. You see discouragement through this chapter. And we're just going to sit down and, and read through some of this this morning, just like we did last week. Um, but through this chapter, these are the, the phrases that, that keep coming up. Um, the words seemed like nonsense to them. Their faces were downcast. They were slow of heart to believe. They were troubled. Doubts arised in their minds. Doubts continued to arise in their minds. Now these are the disciples that sat at the feet of Christ and for at least three years heard him say that everything was going to happen exactly as it's happened. These are the ones that knew him the best, that they, they would sit with him, they ate with him. John reclined with his head on his breast. He, they had that kind of relationship. They heard these words from him and they saw the miracles. And even then they doubt. The tomb is empty. And even then they doubt. They see him. And even then they doubt. And here we are 2,000 years removed on the other side of the planet. I haven't sat with him. I haven't eaten with him. I haven't known him. I didn't hear the words directly from his mouth. How am I supposed to live my life with confidence in his promises? How am I supposed to do that? The disciples that sat at his feet, seeing him and seeing an empty tomb, even they struggled with doubt. Um, I'm going to open the word with you. And I just want to sit at the feet of Jesus in Luke 24. And I want to hear what message he wants to leave us with. Um, what does he want to emphasize and what can we walk away from this with? The Hebrew writer, Hebrews chapter 1 says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son 
who he appointed heir of all things and through whom he created the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. The word that spoke creation into being, that had become flesh and dwelt among us in John 1, that word had become flesh, was opening up the word to these disciples. Um, I want to talk about my relationship to this book with you before I get into the text of Luke 24. Um, When I began my journey and my walk in Christ, Psalm 63 breathed life into me. It was the first thing I ever read where I fell in love with my God. Bible study would become my life at a young age. I fell in love with this book. And I had some of those powerful moments with some friends who taught me what it is to break bread together. To sit at the feet of God's word and to really study in a healthy way. I pray you have somebody like that in your life. But my relationship with this book became very corrupt after over some time. This became a tool for me to win debates with. This became a tool for me to show what I knew and others didn't know. I got engaged in internet forums because those are healthy places. And I saw character attacks and dishonesty and straw men. And I was more guilty than anyone else in those forums of that behavior. Um, God's word should never be treated that way. It's holy. And it's sacred. And healthy Bible study where you sit down and open this book with people that are humble and searching God and wanting to live this out. Um, I should never use fortune cookies in my sermons, but I opened a cool fortune cookie this week. And the fortune cookie said, um, if you hear something, you'll forget it. If you see something, you'll remember it. If you do something, you'll understand it. And I was thinking, I know it's a fortune cookie, but man, that's good. And I was thinking how true that is of the gospel. To live a life and to study with people where you're working on putting this into practice. Um, a good friend of mine, his name was Sean, um, really impacted my life by causing me. He, every morning we would get up 4, 4.30 in the morning. We would go and pray for an hour. And we would open up God's word together in the morning. And then we would open up God's word together in the evening. And he was one of the greatest influences in my life to show me with integrity how to sit down at the word of God. How to handle disagreement. How to handle this in a godly manner. I want you to have my email address. This is my email address. I don't. Um, a lot of you have my Jeff at att.net. I give that to people I don't like. Um, <laughs> This is the email address I do check. If you want to engage in good, healthy Bible study, I would love to visit with you. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to work through some of this. And I'd love to get you in contact with people that want to open up the word. 
But my prayer is that we would be a body of people that this word defines our relationships and that we honor it as holy. And when God offers a promise or when God offers a command, it's not a fortune cookie. It's not good advice. It's holy. It's sacred. If I understand it, it's sacred. If I don't understand it, it's equally as sacred. And I pray that that's going to be something that we do as we sit down with his word. That's what he's going to be emphasizing through this chapter. Let's go ahead and open up verse 1, Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you. While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. You're going to see this word remembered, remembered, come up throughout this chapter. When they came back from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words, they didn't believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb, bending over. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now that same day, two of them were going, on a, going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the, uh, this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are. How slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Now, I think it's funny that these two people have met a stranger on the road. 
their spirits are torn apart. And the stranger says, you fools, you idiots. And then they invite him to come eat with them. (laughs) Wow. Verse 27. And beginning with Moses and other prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While, we ta- while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to, si- to Simon. Then the two told um, what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. And said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your minds? Look at my hands, my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. He took it and ate it in their presence and said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophet's and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Um, In this chapter, over and over, he has said, I want you to remember what was promised through the prophets. I want you to remember what was given us through the law. In Deuteronomy, it says this, these words that I'm giving you today are not just idle words. They are your life. I love what God said um, to Ezekiel. I want to share with this verse to you. It means a whole lot to me uh, in the book of Ezekiel. Verse 30, chapter 33, God is talking to the prophet Ezekiel and he's talking about his word and the impact his word has on people's lives. And it's something that has really hit home with me because I've been guilty of this on both sides. But God says this to the prophet, hey, I need to tell you something. These people like you, you're a good preacher and they like to hear what you say. Mm. My people come to you as they usually do and they sit before you and they listen to your words, but they don't put them into practice. 
With their mouths they express devotion, but their hearts are greedy for unjust gain. Indeed, to them you are nothing more than one who sings love songs with a beautiful voice, and you play an instrument well, for they hear your words, but they don't put them into practice. And he says to the prophet this, he says, they love to hear the word. They love to sit and they they celebrate it. But to them, it's just nice poetry. I love it. I love to hear it. But the word doesn't settle in their hearts. It doesn't impact them. When God makes a promise in scripture, it sounds good. It's encouraging. It's beautiful. But do I believe that promise? Enough to make serious sacrifices based on it. Um, Brad and I told you this story before. I almost played you the news clipping this morning because it's a hilarious news uh, from Colorado Springs. We were driving up from New Mexico, and the sign above the road said, zero visibility, pull off the road. And I said, I don't believe that. There's no such thing as zero visibility. And Brad and I kept driving, and the next thing I know, we're in a shelter, and I'm on Colorado Springs News. Because I didn't put faith in what it said. I didn't believe it. I didn't think that was possible. And all of a sudden, I'm in trouble. I don't get it. My wife told me, no, they're telling the truth. Get in a hotel. I disregarded what my wife said. And all of a sudden, I, 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 it's not as though I don't honor people that that's their job and that's their profession. But I didn't put faith in what they said. The Word of God is that way for us. It's an encouraging book. It's a beautiful book. But when you live your life by putting faith and sacrifice because this is the Word of God and that's His promise, that is powerful. I want to share with you some promises that God gives us in His Word. Philippians has been powerful. Uh, Spending time in that, that book this quarter. So two of these I chose from the book of Philippians. It says this. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. Do you believe that promise? My God will meet all of your needs according to the glorious riches in Christ Jesus. How about this one from 1 Corinthians? We will not sleep, but we will be changed. In a flash, and the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. Those promises, when Christ calls on the disciples throughout the book of Luke, he has said this. If you are not willing to give up everything, you're not ready to be my disciple. If you aren't ready to pick up your cross and follow me, you are not ready to be my disciple. Over and over and over again, he says, you need to be ready to let go of this world. And the theme verse for this whole is is chapter 12, verse 34. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He's emphasized this throughout his entire ministry. Take your treasure off of this world and put it there. You cannot do that. If you don't firmly believe in the promise that there is something to put your treasure in. And then you're willing to let go and you're willing to reach ahead towards something greater. The promise of what happens in Luke 24 when Jesus is raised from the dead. And he's alive. He keeps emphasizing this. I want you to remember my words. I want you to remember my promises. Look at this. He opened their eyes. 
He opened the scriptures. He opened their minds. This is what happens in the resurrection. Second Peter says this. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. Um, Paul's life, Peter's life, it was all based on this one thing. God made a promise, and throughout history, he has been good to his word. He demonstrated it in the resurrection. He's demonstrated it in our lives. 2 Corinthians 1 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Um, I look at these, these verses, and I look at my faith, my Christian walk today, and how this impacts the way I live my life. Um, like I said, throughout my life, I've been in love with this book. I have. But that doesn't mean I've always had a healthy relationship with it. There are many times where I've had a very unhealthy relationship with this word, with brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, theme this morning that was brought up in class kind of relates to this. theme of unity. Christ prayed in Gethsemane, um, just outside of Gethsemane, that the disciples would all be one, that they would be unified, and that they would have a unified um, outreach and a unified, they would be together as a family. Um, I, I think you know this, been praying for this for the church today and for, for Christians throughout this world, and I like to think of the church as just one body, um, not the various different restaurants that we set up everywhere, but just one body. And thinking of it that way, um, what is going to unify the body of Christ today? You sit down together as a family around a table. You say, what is it that holds us together as a family? What is it that holds the body of Christ together as one? Well, after the disciples have been divided, gone their separate ways at the crucifixion, they were full of doubt. They were full of dismay because they lost sight of God's promises. God's promises are what unite the church today. The promise of this, that each one of us is a sinner and each one of us needs his grace and each one of us sits at the feet of a ta- sit at the table at the feet of a Christ who offers forgiveness for sins. We have the promise that in this life you will suffer. But he has overcome this world. We have the promise of eternal life in Christ. And we do not have time as a body of believers living in the resurrection. We do not have time for the distraction of division. We don't have time for it. Not between us and family members, not between us and brothers and sisters in Christ, not between us and anyone. If there is something that divides us as believers, we need to resolve it. Because we have a mission to do. And I don't believe that I'm going to get busy with that mission unless I become a firm believer in his promise. And I don't believe we're going to become firm believers if we don't sit down together, just like we're going to sit down to some turkey this week. As families, when we put this Bible, we put this book between us as believers and say this, 
I'm going to open up this book with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I'm going to approach this word as it is the very word of God. I'm going to hold on to these promises as if I'm listening to the promises of a God who does not fail. I'm going to listen to these commands and these instructions and this guidance as though it's coming from a God who does not play games. This is holy. Um, I'm about a month away from getting into this, but this next year, we're going to be focusing a whole lot on some of the fundamentals, some of the basic things that hold us together in Christ. And I pray, I want to pray for us as a body, and I'm really holding myself accountable for this. I pray that in a resurrected state, in the resurrected church, living in the light of the resurrection, that um, when we listen to God's word and his commands, I hope we're prepared to just say yes. And we're just prepared to say amen. And we're prepared to go forward and say, God, I'm going to do what you ask me to do, even if it violates my culture even if it violates my opinions, and even if it makes me look wrong, because God's word will do that to you. Um, This morning, I just want to offer up a prayer of thanksgiving, and I want to close this message with a prayer of thanksgiving, that the tomb is still empty. Jesus is the only person in history that actually had to borrow a tomb. (laughs) Give it back. Um, Wow. Wow. Let's pray. Father, um, I just honestly feel like if, if um, this, this morning were a Sunday morning 2,000 years ago and that we were meeting together in this room and we had all been shocked with joy because of an empty tomb, I cannot believe, Father, that I hope, Father, that we wouldn't we wouldn't be filled with doubt. We wouldn't be filled with division. We wouldn't be filled with sadness or anger or all of the things that plague your body today. God, I know that the reason those things plague us is because we've forgotten that the tomb was empty. We've forgotten the power and the beauty of that. That there is nothing left in all of creation that can separate us from your love, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else. Nothing can separate us from you. You have given us victory in Christ. You've given us resurrection in Christ. You've given us hope in Christ. You've given us the promise of your presence and the Holy Spirit. God, cancer can't hold anything to that beauty. Nothing in this world that can threaten us can hurt your promises. And I pray, God, that we would have a faith that rests only on those promises. Um, I praise you. I'm full of thanksgiving for you because of the wisdom of the resurrection. And I pray, Father, that the day would dawn, the morning star would rise in our own hearts, and the resurrection of Christ would become a reality that we live in where our eyes are open to it, our mind is opened up to it, and scriptures are opened up in our hearts so that we can see this life and your victory for the beauty that it holds. It's in the name of uh, the resurrected Savior we come before you. Amen. Let's worship our God.